you're listening to a download from the outdoorstation.co.uk. Number 458. Hello and welcome back to the Outdoor Station and part two of my interview with Keith Foskett regarding his latest book, High and Low. Now, I hope you're enjoying this as much as the emails I'm getting suggest, and I know many people have already downloaded a copy of the book thus far. So to keep the wheels of outdoor love going round, can I ask that you comment and share on any of the social media links we post in relation to this podcast or any others? We want to try and keep on top of these changes that are going on in the dreaded algorithms and thus we need comments, not just likes, to stay visible in all the various feeds. However, back to the interview. Now, one comment in his book High and Low that I wanted to ask Keith about was where he indicated that he felt people sometimes over-prepared for the CDT or the AT packing up countless food parcels and posting them ahead. He indicated he didn't really think this was absolutely necessary. Yeah, there's um, <clears throat> there's normally two approaches. Um, a lot of people all box up um, three, four, five, six months, however long they think it's going to take them to hike the PCT. They'll box all their weekly or twice-weekly food supplies up and send them to post offices uh, along the trail in towns. Um, The other uh, method people use is to literally just shop as you as you progress. I mean, when I was researching the PCT, I, I saw people using both methods, and I couldn't quite... Um, figure out why people would would mail all of that stuff ahead. I mean, the biggest reason was if you got tired of a certain type of food. I think I, I remember reading about one guy who literally made a barrel full of trail food. He put all the stuff he loved, um, different nuts, sultanas, bits of chocolate chips in this barrel, all mixed it up and mailed out six months' worth of trail mix. And after two weeks, he was sick of the stuff. Um which kind of put me off doing it myself. I know a lot of people use it primarily for uh, if you have dietary restrictions um, in some of the supermarkets and stores. It's it's occasionally difficult to pick up um, food that's that's kind to your sort of condition, whatever that is, whether it's vegan or you've got uh, colic or whatever. Um, so a lot of people do that. Uh, for their own particular dietary requirements. But no, I just did it, um, I suppose there's a little bit of potluck, but I just resupplied in towns as I went. Um, I get into a certain town, I'd look at the next section, I'd look at it and say, right, it's 150 miles, that's going to be probably a week. Um, and I'd pick out seven dinners, you know, seven breakfasts, snacks for seven days, um, try and get a decent supermarket. Sometimes I could, sometimes I couldn't. Um, and then put all that in my uh, MRX sack of till I get to the next town, and the whole the whole process receipt re- repeats itself. There's pros and cons, pros and cons to each. Um, well, what immediately I think comes... the other thing was I, ju- I just done if I'd have had the patience to pa- to box up six months worth of food and sort it all out and post it up trail, especially as I was 
you know, flying into the States to, to find sort of somewhere to hold up for a, probably two or three days just to buy all of that food, um, take it out of the boxes, put it in plastic bags, figure out all the post offices and mail it up was probably two or three days work in itself. So that kind of put me off a little bit as well. And certainly with, with both methods in mind, did you think there was a heavier financial penalty doing it the way that you did it? I think it's probably, if you do resupply as you go, it's it's probably more expensive, yes. Um, if you're mailing your own stuff out, you can usually buy it in bulk, and if you're buying in bulk, you can get it a lot cheaper. Um I don't know if it's if it'd be that much more expensive. You probably would save a little bit of money. Um, strangely enough, I uh, sometimes I ended up with a bit of a mix of two. Um, so I'd resupply, and if I had leftover food, like I thought, no, that's too way too many dinners. You've got way too many snacks. Um, I would actually put them in a box and post them up to the next trail town instead of wasting them. Um, so that's one way of doing it. And also you get kind of quite fond of certain food items as well. I mean, my big weakness was um, uh, dark chocolate-covered almonds. I could never get enough of the stuff, and they were really hard to get hold of. So when I found some, I was buying kilos of the stuff and just, <laughs> you know, I'd, ma- I'd mail two or three boxes up. So at least I know, oh, another 500 miles, I've got some dark chocolate almonds in the post. So I ended up with a bit of a mix of both, I suppose. The, the the variety of trails that you've done over the years, the PCT, the AT, uh, the Camino, and obviously the, the trail that you were doing as we're discussing on this particular interview, one thing that listeners sometimes wonder is how anybody manages to financially do it, because obviously there's the cost involved of the, of the trail itself, but there's the lifestyle and things that still need to be paid while you're away and that sort of stuff. So do you have a, a, a sort of a simple formula that you work to to help you financially prepare for for any of these trails? Um, no, not really. <laughs> I'm a disaster with money most of the time. So uh, my, my sort of financial planning for a trail is uh, to decide I'm going to do some, a trail and in and, and two years' time I'll do it and save over those two years. But in practice, it, I don't save anything at all and I, I try and get everything together during the last five months. That's normally how it works. Um, I don't know if I'm qualified to give financial advice on a through hike or not, but... Um, um, I mean, it helps. I've been sort of self-employed since 2001, 2002, firstly as a decorator and, and now for the last sort of three years as a writer. So um, that helps. Obviously, I don't have an employer that I need to ask for, for time off for. Um, and for me, it was, just, it was just getting the money together and then I could go. Most of my clients were uh, – well, in fact, all of my clients when I was decorating – at least understood that was the other lifestyle I led. And I, I just used to send them an email or ring them and say, look, I'm away for four or five months. Um, be back October if you've got any work, gladly appreciate it. And for years it worked very, very well. Obviously, if you're working for someone else, it, it's incredibly difficult. And I know uh, I've had a few conversations with um, friends of mine in America and um, – it's incredibly difficult for them. I mean, a lot of people I know in America don't even get a week off a year. Um, I don't know what the the mentality is for, for vacation time over in the States, but it's incredibly difficult for them to get any time off at all, let alone, uh, you know, four, five, six months um, for a through hike. I think a lot of, a lot of the through hikers are quite sort of young, so they've just sort of graduated and they have that 
space um, between graduation and, and starting their first job. Um, so you find a lot of those sort of young people do it, late teens, early 20s. You see a few retired people as well. Um, and the space in between... A lot of people give up their jobs to do it because it is a dream and they think giving up their job is is something that they need to do to achieve that dream. And more often than not, when they do get back, um, their old position is, you know, they sort of fall back into their old position. Their employer brings them back up and say, look, if you want to come back, that's that's absolutely fine. Um each circumstance is, is, is different, really, Bob. All I can say is, um, whether you're self-employed, whether you work for someone else, uh, whether it's easy to get time off, whether you've got enough money, whether you don't think you have enough money, whether you think you might have a job at the end of it or not, um, I don't think there's many people that I've speaking, spoken to that have uh, done a through-hike um, and haven't come back thinking, my God, that was the best thing I've ever done in my life. And a lot of people go on to do uh, to do more of it. So it is a big sacrifice. I understand it's incredibly difficult for a lot of people. Some people might not even get the chance to do it. But if you can do it and if you're in a position to do it, it's um, it's an amazing thing to do. Now, now coming back to the to the book, you've done the the Cape Wrath, and you're starting to head down the the West Highland Way, and you've certainly had your highs and lows, both physically and and mentally, as as the book sort of touches on, and you sort of going through these waves of of moments of of, of sadness, uh, and then perhaps deeper depths, and then somebody comes into your life who. I'm a sort of firm believer that sometimes people come into your life for a, a, just when you need them and you don't realise it. But um, Eleanor obviously struck a chord with you um, when you bumped into her and, and she was helped you sort of start to think about some of the problems you were having in a different way. Yeah, um, I met uh, Eleanor about a day out of uh, about well, sorry, on the morning out of um, Fort William on, on, on the West Highland Way uh, and I was just sitting down having a snack and um, uh, she just basically came up and said hello and, and, and asked if, if, if she minded sitting down and resting as well and had no problem, we had a chat, we ended up walking for half a day and uh, gradually during the course of that um, that walk um, we managed to get onto the subject of depression. Now, I mean, at, at that particular time, I had still absolutely no idea that I was even suffering from depression. And, and to be honest, I was still pretty ignorant about what depression actually was. But she seemed to pick up, uh, I don't know if signals or certain uh, ways I was behaving that made her think that I was suffering from depression having uh, she'd suffered from it quite badly herself in the past and I think it's true that when you have uh, when you have suffered or rather you do suffer with depression you can see um, the little traits in other people even if they might not be aware of it so we didn't sort of, we walked together for about a day and we didn't sort of get to the stage at the end of the day where she diagnosed me with depression obviously but I think that the, the expression would be she'd sort of planted the seed. Uh, I was still kind of, even at that stage on the, the West Highland Way, I was I was still pretty unhappy. Um, I was enjoying the hiking, but there was still definitely something wrong, and I, I was still trying to figure out why I was so unhappy. 
So she just kind of planted these few sort of little seeds, and I sort of remember getting to the end of the lane thinking you should look up this um, – look up this depression thing she she mentioned and see what the symptoms are and think um if there's uh, there's more to it than you know she said and that's uh, that's what i did so that was kind of the that was the first stage of of, of of realizing a there was definitely something wrong and b more importantly what it what it possibly could be and she i think from you the indication you made that she sort of kept in touch as you continued your walk through down to the Pennine Way as a, almost um, a good fairy, almost, you know, giving you a call every now and again to see if you're okay. Yeah. Um, and kind of looking back on it now, I, I, I do sort of realise it's... Um, she was... She did sort of check in occasion and... Uh, as I said, because she knew, or I think she knew that I, I was suffering depression because she, she, she did recognize these symptoms. Um, she wasn't overbearing because sometimes if you've, certainly I found when I had depression uh, and when you admit that you have depression, uh, the reactions from friends and colleagues can be quite kind of overbearing. Um, you know, suddenly everybody thinks you need looking after 24-7 and they, you need a phone call twice a day asking you how you are. And in some respects, it, it can actually make it worse. It certainly did with me because if uh, if I have issues, wrongly or rightly, the last thing I'll, I'll do is, is speak to a friend about it. I'll try and sort of deal with it, you know, on my own sort of steam. Um, so she was very, very subtle with it. And I think that's, I think she realized, as I said, having gone through it herself, that if you do uh, get to the stage where you realize you have depression and you let people know about it, it can be quite sort of overbearing. So she was, I think she realized that she was quite sensitive about it. But yeah, she dropped in. She sent me a text uh, once every couple of days and, you know, just asking, was everything all right and how's everything, that sort of thing. So she handled it really well. But I think as your as your journey continues, as you say, and you went down to the Pennine Way, and they had, it was the wettest summer in fifteen years or something, it's it must be pretty difficult to, as you say, there's the masculine part of you that that that's that sort of states that I'm okay, I'm just feeling a bit down, or it's a bit wet and it's a bit miserable, but it's not it's knowing, isn't it? It's recognizing the problem and knowing that actually the way you're feeling has gone beyond just being a bit fed up with something to something that's taking you and driving you down a deeper and deeper pit, really. Yeah, there's um, um, there's definitely sort of a, um, a bravado and, uh, I mean, not just with through hiking, but with a lot of uh, uh, adventure sports and a lot of other things in life. You, you know, there's this feeling that we need to sort of overcome adversity and push through at all costs regardless. And... I, that that's a mentality I did sort of pick up in, 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 in the States. You know, your focus is always to finish the trail. It doesn't matter what's happening. It doesn't matter whether it's, you know, there's a hailstorm or it's been raining for 15 days solid or you have you think you've got a fracture in your foot or, you know, you're not quite sort of right mentally. There's always this uh, feeling that you have to push forward and you have to finish. And that, I had that on the, on the, on the Scottish walk to a lot of, to, 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 to a lot of extent. Um, and I did, yeah, I did push on. I thought I was ignoring everything. I was ignoring the weather. I was, to be frank, ignoring the days when I was just absolutely miserable, um, just concentrating on, you know, finishing the hike. And 
when it all came to a head um, in, I think, about a day out on, on the Pan Am Way, um, and I did, it was kind of the end of the battle, I suppose. I thought, uh, I just remember sitting down and thinking, I just can't do this anymore. I'm just so miserable. Um, couldn't take any more rain. Um, and at that point, I thought, you know, you came out here to sort of heal yourself. And if anything, you, A, you haven't, you haven't healed. And B, if anything, you're, you're a damn sight worse. You need to get back home and, you, you know, you need to sort it out. So... And it was also it was also difficult coming coming to terms with the fact that the outdoors hadn't failed me, but you know all the issues uh, or problems I've had in my life before that, I always sort of ran to the outdoors to sort of heal, and, and usually it worked or gave me the uh, the space and the time to figure it out. Um, so that was a hard one because it. Uh, as I said, it hadn't failed me, but it, it equally it didn't work. So it was it was difficult getting my head around that as well. Unfortunately, though, from as I read it and understand that actually heading back home actually wasn't of great benefit to you either. You sort of got into a bit of a, a, a low point and kept digging by the sound of it. Yeah, um, when I got back home, it, it just went. Um, I went downhill pretty pretty rapidly. Um, and I, I reached a point uh, which I kind of I look back on now and, and realise it was just probably the worst day of my entire life. I remember um, uh, I was sitting at home, usual uh, situation. I, I was trying to concentrate and do something uh, uh, on the computer, writing or something, and I just had no no energy to do anything. I couldn't concentrate. Um, still didn't realise I uh, I had depression, um, and couldn't realise didn't um, couldn't realise why I was so unhappy. But you know, to a level to such a low that I didn't even realise I, I I could get that low. I mean, a I was I, I got to the point where I was actually crying, and b uh, I remember looking down at my hands, and my hands were shaking. Now my hands have never. Sh- shook from anything apart from cold in my life before so to see my hands shaking and not not understanding why they were shaking or why I was feeling that way was was really really scary um and at that point my phone went and a, and a friend of mine called and um her first words were uh, are you are you okay and I just sort of let it out and I said no I'm not and uh, a lot of stuff came out, and she basically pretty much ordered me down to uh, the doctor. Um, and she said, whatever you do when they ring him up, just tell him you think you might be suffering from depression. And even then I denied it. I said, I'm not suffering from depression. I'm just having a bad day. And she said, just tell him you're suffering from depression. And they saw me that afternoon. And I think I've seen the doctor about half an hour and left with... Uh, with this diagnosis of um, of depression, so yeah, it was probably well, actually not probably at all. It was undoubtedly the worst the, the worst day of my life, and 2016 doesn't uh, doesn't hold many good memories. The Outdoor Station is your one stop shop for audio and video entertainment for the self powered traveller. You can find us online on internet radio, on smartphones, on smart TVs, on YouTube, on Apple TV, on Now TV, and on Facebook. 
You can also stream us live via the iTunes app or TuneIn radio app. The list is continually expanding, and for full details of how to subscribe, download, or stream and enjoy our massive free library, please visit theoutdoorstation.co.uk. Your journey from that particular point has been one of self-awareness, I guess, and uh, understanding of what you need to or needed to do to reduce the trigger points that brought on this the, these feelings. And I was going to read something that you actually put in the book, which I thought was was interesting. That first of all, that that um, depression affects some three hundred and fifty million people in the world. Um, apparently, which I thought was quite a bit of a shock, really. And the signs for people, for people listening to this, you know, what does depression consist of, as opposed to just having a bad day? I thought this is a nice line or nice way to describe it because I, I feel that I've been there myself, uh, certainly from some a couple of personal experiences a few years back. Um, a depressive mind isn't interested in positives; it bombards us with negatives. It wants to bring us down, and to do that, it can create destructive emotions. Uh, which of course include irritability, sadness, inadequacy, self-hate, social withdrawal, pessimism, loss of hobbies, lethargy and just complete lack of motivation. And in my particular case, I had a, a business arrangement with somebody who was 2000 and uh, they embezzled everything I had at the time, investment in the company and and I went downhill for two or three years and, and I've, I could understand all those signs because I can remember the story and, and remember how I felt uh, during that particular period of time. And funny enough, it was starting backpacking light that actually got me out of it because it gave me something f- positive to focus on. And because of that, I had to stop doing all the self-destructive things I was doing at the time. So your journey coming out of it, do you want to just touch on a few things that have really worked for you that, that, that sort of helped you turn the corner? Yeah, um, the, the, when I first, I mean... When the doctor first sort of diagnosed it, I'm a, I'm a fairly, I kind of look at things fairly, or try to look at things fairly logically. So if there's a problem, uh, I kind of look at anything, right, there's a problem, there's a solution. You've just got to find it. So A, I knew I had depression. My next stage was um, uh, how I could get through it or, you know, get to it to sort of a better state of mind. Now, in my research, um, there isn't, uh, from what I've read, there isn't a cure for depression. There's only various stages where you can make yourself happier, for want of a better expression. Um, for example, you could take uh, you could take medication. Um, you could take antidepressants. That's one way of doing it. Um, I didn't want to go down the antidepressant route, and indeed, my doctor actually refused them. Um, which, looking back, I mean, at the time, it surprised me. But looking back, up back, I'm really glad he uh, he didn't. Uh, having read some of the uh, the stories about people on antidepressants, and so I, I started trying to figure out what what the triggers were. And I did a lot of research, a lot of googling. And a lot of things kept cropping up, and I ended up with a list of, I think, about 15, 15 things that I thought I could do to pull me out of this, um, well, I used to call it the pit. Um, if I had a really, really bad day of depression, I, I just it was just like being in a pit. I couldn't get out. Um, the, two, the two biggest points out of those 15 uh, for me 
the number one thing that 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 turned me round was uh, was drinking. Um, now I'd never sort of put myself in the bracket of, of alcoholism. I used to I used to drink most evenings. I'd drink a bottle of wine. When things were really really bad, I was making inroads into uh, a second bottle of wine. Um, which whichever way you look at it. A bottle of wine every day is, is is way too much alcohol. So I hit October in 2016. There was something I don't know what it was, but something was was niggling me that alcohol was 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 the main cause. Um, now in October 2016, I think there was uh, uh, some sort of um, event going on where they, they were encouraging people to give up alcohol for a month. So I thought, well. You know, I need to do it anyway. Um, so I went through the whole of October without drinking any alcohol whatsoever. Um, and the the turnaround was amazing. I think within, certainly within two or three days, I started feeling a hell of a lot better. Um, after a week, I felt amazing. Um, and then the, the other benefits were my concentration just rocketed. Um, uh, my ability to sort of understand stuff like I don't know maybe I was re- researching something for a book or whatever and you know there was dates and lots of different names um, and normally if I was reading something I'd, I'd, I couldn't understand it I'd, I'd get very frustrated with it um, I'd get angry I'd hit the desk that sort of thing but I didn't I was reading stuff and everything was was much more easy to understand if I didn't understand it I wasn't getting frustrated with it so that was kind of like a side effect of it but by the end of October, having not um, not touched alcohol, um, I was just a different man. So I do still drink now. I still have the occasional drink. I still have the occasional even. I have a bottle of wine, um, but I certainly don't do, don't do it every night. And I think, for me at least, um, half the battle or half the cause of my depression was uh, was alcohol and. Having a conversation with the doctor, one of the first things he said to me was, how much are you drinking? And I kind of looked at him and uh, I was sort of thinking, how does this guy know I drink? And I said, so I said, well, how do you know I drink? And he said, because 90% of the people that come in to see me with depression are drinking too much alcohol. So that was kind of a realisation um, uh, that made me pretty much stop, and it was it was a good thing to do. I think it's uh, it was responsible for a lot of a lot of bad stuff in my life at the time. And since then, you've taken on obviously a few other things as well: the diet, looking after the diet, and I presume a bit of exercise as well, and, and, and various aspects, which you touch in detail, in, obviously in the book. Uh, but they've all helped you bring back bring yourself back to a better place. Yeah, definitely. I think if if alcohol was sort of fifty percent of it, all these other these other fifteen points were uh, the rest of them sort of made up that other fifteen percent. And I thought, well, if alcohol can have that much effect, you know, if you do all these other things, um, you know, maybe you can feel a hell of a lot better than you now feel having given up alcohol. So, I mean, I've always eaten well anyway. I've, I've been interested in diet and nutrition for years. Um, I eat very little meat. Um, I eat a lot of vegetables, uh, nuts, pulses, uh, oils, um, fish. I probably only have meat about once a week. 
um, lots of water. So the diet thing was really, that wasn't really a transition for me. That was something I was already doing, although it had slipped a little bit. Um, I just went back to, you know, the diet that I'd, I'd pretty much always had, my healthy diet, um, drank lots of water. And the exercise thing, again, even during the... Even during the bad times, exercise was still something uh, I was doing. You know, I'd always go out for a long walk at the weekend. And if I had the time, um, I'd do two or three sort of two-hour walks in the week. Um, I was still going up to, to the gym. Uh, I started doing yoga again, which is something I sort of dip in and out of. Um, but, yeah, the diet... Uh, and the exercise definitely played a part. Exercise is is kind of a no, no brainer for me. It's like, uh, I mean, you know, if you if you if you go for a really long walk, Bob, and let's say you get back in the evening and um, you know you're really tired, but you feel fantastic, don't you? You have like this, you have this mm. big sigh of relief, and you think, my God, I feel fantastic for doing that. Um, and that's a lot of people say it's, it's endorphins or it's just the body's way of telling you that, you know, if you exercise, I'll make you feel good. It's sort of an incentive to do more exercise. Um, but it did make me feel a lot better. Certainly the exercise thing and the, the diet uh, definitely helped. I've got a lot of faith in the, in the diet side of things. Well, it's good to see you back on track and, and back to uh, the person that you, you feel you want to be. And obviously people know you uh, know you for as well which is always good and I uh, just interesting really when you this in this day and age of, of social media and obviously every story on social media being a good story and all the things that it tends to create the FOMO effect the fear of missing out because you're looking at something and so somebody else is doing an exciting trip so you know maybe that gets you a bit depressed then you've got the sort of the kicks of dopamine that, that go on when you post a picture and somebody clicks and likes it and this that sort of stuff do you think that's sort of adding to people's uh, general well-being or, or diminishing their well-being? Does it influence people's negativity? Um, I don't know. Social media is a funny, funny one. It's I never know whether to love or hate it. I mean, it's 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 something I'm incredibly glad to have because of my work. Um, uh, the, the marketing opportunities when you're sort of an indie author on social media are, uh, are incredible. So from that point, I'd, uh, I'm so glad I have it. Um, and then I don't know on the flip side of the comment, I don't know if it's this, the, there is a lot of bad stuff on, on social media. I mean, I think my main gripe with it is the, uh, is the political stuff. Um, doesn't matter where you stand politically. If you get two people together with with opposing views, um, sometimes they can talk it through like adults. A lot of the time, it gets heated. Sometimes it'll get an argument. So when you've got social media, and instead of two people trying to share an opinion, you've got thousands. Um, it's just a recipe for absolute disaster. And it's, it's getting to the point now where I've, I've stopped. A, I've stopped posting political posts and B, uh, I try not to comment on them. In fact, I, I don't comment on them anymore. Very, very rarely. Um, I don't know if, you know, everything in between, does it, does it make people feel bad? I don't know. I don't know. I think it's when I see photos of, I don't know, friends or, or, or colleagues, you know, 
posting pictures of a mountain summit or, you know, hiking through a forest or or even lying on the beach or in, or in a bar. I don't uh, – it, it makes me feel kind of good. I think, you know, that guy's out having a great time. He's, he's on the Pacific Crest Trail or – that guy's doing the South Downs way, or that guy's doing the Ridgeway. Uh, that kind of that kind of makes me feel happy. Um, I don't know. Social media is a funny one. It's uh, you shouldn't have asked me that question. I can't answer it. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. There's no points involved. Well, you know, in your in your group of books, which all of which cover a whole range of, of trails and topics, which have always been generally sort of. Um, flowing should we say on the subject matter this is an unusual book an unusual book for you and it's certainly an unusual book in the world of outdoor books so i'm just wondering what's your gut feeling what what has the sort of publisher said how do you think it's going to be received um i think um i mean there's 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 a sort of core audience of people that have uh bought my books in the past um I think they'll enjoy it because the hiking side of it is written in in the way that I normally write, and that it's you know it's a it's a generally a light-hearted memoir, travel memoir with um, with humorous bits in there as well. Now the, the the depression side of it, it is it is a book with with two sides. There is the uh, the memoir of a, of a hike across Scotland, and obviously the other half is coming to terms with the fact that I had depression. So it's I didn't actually set out to write it um, with the depression element in. That sort of only sort of hit me the first chapter, and I thought, you know, this is an interesting subject. Um, um, there's a lot of people uh, suffering with, with, with sort of mental illness, and also, more importantly, people are starting to talk about it. The stigmas are sort of fading, and I thought I could actually contribute something towards that by... <clears throat> Um, by telling people that I had or I suffer from depression and mental illness and more importantly how I how I took steps to sort of come out of it so in answer to your question how how's it going to be received I really don't know I think um, bless all of them the people that have bought my other books um, uh, I hope they'll buy this one and I think they'll enjoy it because the, the base material is similar to my other ones um, and I hope it'll be well received by, I don't know, perhaps people that have never done a hike before in their life. Maybe they don't do any physical exercise at all, but it kind of makes them realize that, you know, for the last couple of years, they haven't been feeling quite on ball and they've been a little bit sad, unhappy. They don't quite know what's going on. Um, I was in that sort of same situation, kind of like a realization, if you want. A lot of people, I think, they they have uh, depression or mental illness, and they they absolutely have no idea that they have it. So to to write about it and put it out there and suggest that you know, if you do have these these issues in your life, uh, these you know overwhelming unhappiness or you struggle to get out of bed in the morning or you're drinking a bottle of wine in the evening um, or you've got no desire to do anything at the weekend except sit in front of the TV and eat pizza, that possibly something might be wrong. And if you did see a doctor about it, um, he could possibly pinpoint that you have depression. You might have it at all, but he could possibly pinpoint that you did and you'd be in a position to do something about it. So it's an interesting one. I don't know... I don't know how people receive it, but I, I hope it's obviously I hope it's received um, it's received well. 
Well, it's wonderful to have taken the time to to have a chat, and I do appreciate it. Um, of course, I always have a, a final question, which is a bit of a lowball question, so I'm, I'm sure you're going to have your brain ticking over very quickly. Of, of, <laughs> on the subject matter of, of the book, and obviously the whole range of things that you actually uh, touch on in the book, of all the things I could have asked you, what should I have asked you? God, that is a lowball question. Um... I, uh, I guess a that is a really low question, Bob. I have no idea how to answer that. Um, I would have possibly said, "What's your next adventure? What's your next um, through hike?" Um, and the reason it might seem like an obvious question, but. If you had have asked it, I think people might have been surprised at the answer and the fact that I don't think I'm going to be doing any more uh, long-distance hiking. Um, there's a lot of other things that I sort of want to do. Um, I've been doing the long-distance hiking thing for, I suppose, about 15 years, and physically I think I'm probably stronger than, I, than, than I've ever been. Obviously, psychologically, um, I've sort of had my battles. Um but I always try and sort of take notice of how I'm feeling. And if if the idea of, for, let's say, for example, going back to do the Continental Divide Trail, for whatever reason, isn't uh, isn't sort of floating my boat, it's not making me excited, then I tend not to fight these ideas anymore. Sometimes I'll just be like, no, don't be ridiculous. Of course you want to go and do the Continental Divide Trail. But the fact is I don't. Um, and I think it's – I can't kind of quite nail it, but – there is other things I'd like to do in my life as well. Um, there's other things I'd like to write about. I don't want to be like hiking, uh, sorry, writing about long distance hiking forever. I don't want to be stuck in one genre. Um, and there's other things I want to do. For example, uh, I've wanted, uh, I've wanted to get a dog for years and years and years. And I've never, um, I've never got one because of my traveling, you know, it's, it, just it would be unfair i couldn't possibly get a dog because i'd have to leave it for so long so i i have hesitated to get one but um so that's one thing i want to do whether there's a book in that i don't know you know a year in the life of bringing up a border collie or something similar uh, i don't know but i think the long distance hiking thing and when i say long I, I sort of look at it as anything over sort of a thousand miles i mean if i could quite happily go out and do 600 mile hikes and, and still get excited about it but um you know six month two and a half three thousand mile hikes just don't have the appeal that they that they used to uh, initially i was disappointed about the feelings but now i'm just well you know if that's the way you feel it's it's there for a reason. You have to you have to sort of go with it. So hopefully it'll open up a lot more doors. Well, that was an interesting twist to the end of this interview. And once again, I can empathise with Keith that sometimes you feel life is indeed telling you to take a new direction. As someone once said to me, a rut is just a coffin with the lid off. Well, on that happy note, I think I've seen a recent post from Keith which indicates he has indeed a new collie companion, and I'm sure he will settle down soon once the collie has trained him properly to throw sticks on demand. 
My thanks to Keith, of course, and we wish him well in whatever direction his life takes him. There are more rich and varied podcasts coming very soon, as Andy Howell and I recently visited the photographic show at the NEC on behalf of outdoors people everywhere looking for the perfect camera for backpackers and long-distance hikers, plus so much more. And there's also a new 500-mile trail to talk about that actually isn't very far away. So once again, folks, if you could keep commenting and sharing any of the social media links that we post in relation to this podcast or any others, we would greatly appreciate it. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To hear or see more from our extensive free library, please visit theoutdoorsstation.co.uk. Thank you.